You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, You are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them, and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers, who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers, that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God, to prevent the taunts of the nations our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day, their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Well, in a moment, we're going to be looking at those verses. But before we do... I'm on annual leave tomorrow. I'm pretty excited by that. Uh, A time of rest, time of relaxation coming, a chance to do some of those things you don't normally get a chance to do. And different people, you know, rest and relax in different ways. I personally uh, am looking forward to spending time with my kids, but also just some time by myself watching some movies. I really enjoy that. And I've been thinking about a particular type of movie a little bit lately. 
The sort of movie where someone is faced with what seems like insurmountable odds and yet they triumph. And as I've been thinking about this, it struck me just how many movies, that's basically the plot line. (laughs) Maybe a sporting movie, whether it's basketball or baseball or hockey, I can think of teams that have overcome the obstacles of being misfits or whatever it might be, and they've won the grand final. Or maybe other teams. There are plenty of movies out there about singing and dancing people coming together and being victorious. Doesn't have to be a team thing. Sometimes there's personal victories, overcoming personal demons or or obstacles that are in the way so that the the plane is landed on the river (laughs) or the ship landed on the moon. And if I'm honest, it's also the plot of pretty much every single superhero movie. (laughs) The world needs saving yet again. And of course, it needs to be done in a big way. I've been thinking, therefore, that there's two main things, two main themes to these sort of movies. Firstly, it needs to be a decent obstacle, a decent difficulty. I suspect our world knows that everything's not working how it should be at the moment, which is perhaps why there's so many superhero movies out there. The world needs to be saved. I think our culture recognises that things are a little dark and need fixing. No one goes to see a movie about someone misplacing something or losing their paperclip. It needs to be a decent difficulty. The other part of this formula that I think works is you actually have to care about the character. No one barracks for the bad guys. They have obstacles and issues in their way as well, those blasted good guys. But we need to feel empathy, compassion, sympathy with those who are facing difficulties. I think that summarises today's passage. There are some incredible difficulties that need to be overcome. And I hope to show you that Nehemiah is someone we should care about because he points us to the Lord Jesus and also therefore has things to say to us as we face obstacles in our life. Today, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5, Six, and as I learned this week, also chapter seven. (laughs) So it'd be really helpful if you have your Bibles open there on your phone or the books themselves, because we're going to be covering a fair few chapters of the book of Nehemiah. As we do so, let me just take a moment to remind you that we're in a series called Rebuild, where we're working through the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra was a book where we saw that God's people had not lived in a way that pleased God. And so he called them back to himself and taught them how to worship him. For the last month or so, we've been in the book of Nehemiah. And there we've seen in chapter one, he was still back in the Persian empire, but he felt a particular call of God to complete some work, to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. 
And so in chapter two, he traveled there. In chapter three, people said, yes, we will get behind your vision and help you in this. And in chapter four, last week, we saw some significant opposition arose. And that theme continues in chapters five and six today. In chapter four, God's people were mocked and then threatened externally. And now we see there's some internal problems as well. As we just heard then, Nehemiah 5 verse 1, there arose a great outcry of the people against their Jewish brothers. There's infighting. Why? Well, as I've already mentioned, there were significant obstacles to overcome. Verse 2, we have big families and we're struggling to get enough food to eat. That's pretty big. It gets worse in verse 3. We're having to mortgage our houses to buy food because there's a famine. We're perhaps struggling with the cost of living going up. Have anyone had to mortgage their house to pay for petrol? And it gets still worse. Verse 4. There are some who said we've had to borrow money, basically in order to live, and now we've had to send our kids into slavery to pay off the debt. As groceries go up, that has not entered my mind and I trust it's not entered yours either. Likewise, Nehemiah, we're told in verse 6, is outraged by this. These are significant problems. And so he calls together a group of people and he says, we've got to fix this. We're going to drop interest rates. (laughs) We're going to get rid of interest altogether. We need to care for the poor, our brothers and sisters who are struggling. I love how it said, just as it was read at the end, I think it's a verse eight. They had nothing to say. (laughs) They probably couldn't meet his eyes. Yeah, yeah, we, we are guilty of this. We've got to do something. And as the Bible reading there finished, we heard they said, yes, once again, we're in. Let's do something about this. Nehemiah says that ought not the fear of our God motivate us. He's pictured here then as a, someone who wants to serve God. He wants to respect and honour the Lord. And he's keen to fix the problems, the obstacles to be addressed that are before the Lord's people. It's got all those elements of a great movie. But then I think it gets even better. Nehemiah 5 verse 14. He starts to tell us a little bit about himself. He goes above and beyond. He doesn't just want to fix the problem, but he wants to show that I actually really care. And although he's been given an allowance for food, he's thinking far be it from me if everyone else is struggling for me to live like a king. And so he uses his own money to invite a fair amount of people. What's it say in verse 17? 150 people to join him for meals. That's a character I can care about. And maybe it reminds you of people you know who are great examples, inspiring godly people. 
I was reading recently that after the Queen's birthday, there were some people who were um, recognised and I guess rewarded as such for fostering 74 children in their years of marriage. I don't know who these people are, but that's a story that inspires me. Maybe you can think of other people who show compassion for the poor. Courage in a particular area. Maybe they've invited young people into their house. Whatever it might be, we can't help but think they're good people. And here, as we hear about Nehemiah, we think it's not just great that he fixed these problems, but what a great guy to go above and beyond. That's inspiring. I think it helps us then as we get to chapter six and it looks like same old, (laughs) here's the same problems repeating, that we're actually cheering for him. Six verse one. Now when Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem the Arab, they're enemies of God's people so far in the book of Nehemiah. When we hear those words, I'd love to hear a boo come. We think, yeah, they're the villains. They're the bad guys. We're not going to cheer for them. What are those scallywags and rascals up to now? Well, it sounds a little boring, if not straightforward. They invite Nehemiah to meetings. How dastardly. (laughs) But we're told there, they've obviously got another agenda at the end of verse two, but they intended to do me harm. And so Nehemiah says, look, I'm not turning up. Verse four, they try this four times. Verse five, they think we need a new strategy. Hey, Nehemiah, a report has come across our desk saying that you're building these city walls so you can set yourself up as king and be safe doing it. Are you going to attend our next meeting? I love Nehemiah's reply, verse eight. I sent back saying, no such thing as you say has been done. You are inventing these things out of your own mind. You guys are making up rubbish. But still in verse nine, he says, oh God, strengthen my hands. There's real struggles here for Nehemiah. And again, it gets worse in verse 10. His own people start turning on him. Verse 14, as again he prays, apparently some of God's people are prophesying against him. Imagine how hard that would be. Problems within God's people, we can fix it. Personal attacks, I can ignore it, but help me God to do so. But now people are saying in the name of the Lord, what Nehemiah is doing is wrong. There's enough truth in what they say there in verses 10 to 13, such as these guys are trying to harm you, that Nehemiah wants to respond, but the advice they give him on how to do so will actually lead him to sin. It's character assassination. It just seems like one thing after another for three chapters, chapter four, chapter five, chapter six, surely this is going to take its toll on Nehemiah. Surely this is going to stall the work. 
It's then a bit of a surprise when in verse 15 we're just told, so the war was finished. Now, it hasn't happened that quick. In chapter four, about halfway through, we saw the wall was halfway high. Just dropped a little status update in there. Chapter six, verse one, we're told now that the wall is looking good, but there's still some holes. Now, all of a sudden, it's done. As I read these chapters, I just wouldn't have expected that to happen. It seems so easily. More than that, at the end of verse 15, the wall was finished in 52 days. I don't know that I could put up a retaining wall in under two months. But this guy's built a wall around an entire city. A wall that's high and wide enough to withstand armies and sieges. This is incredible. So much so that in verse 16, we're told when all our enemies heard of it, they were afraid for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. It is so astounding that this work has been completed and finished in this time frame that even the enemies of God say his hand must have been in this. Praise be to the Lord. As a result, 7 verse 4, the city is safe. God's people can move back in to rebuild their houses. And in chapter 7, we're we're given a list of those who did. God's people back in God's place, living for the Lord. It happened a long time ago. You might not find it the most riveting read, but it's a story of a servant of the Lord completing the work of the Lord and triumphing despite obstacles. And so it reminds me very clearly of our Lord Jesus, the servant of the Lord. Like Nehemiah, he was mocked and jeered. Like Nehemiah, he was threatened. Like Nehemiah, he had to face infighting amongst his disciples. Who's the greatest? Like Nehemiah, he is a truly inspiring example of compassion for the poor, of godly generosity. But unlike Nehemiah, his story, of course, finished a bit different, didn't it? When God's people united with the enemies of God's people, the Romans, they just didn't threaten physical violence as they did to Nehemiah. Of course, they achieved it. As we've already reflected this morning, Jesus was betrayed by his own. He came to his own people, but they did not receive him. They welcomed him not. Again, I was reading Luke 4 this morning. I shared a little bit. It goes on to say that the people in Jesus' own hometown rejected him. Who do you think you are? We know your family. We know your father. And they tried to forcibly stop him. And so, of course, Jesus was crucified. 
It looked like, despite such obstacles, of course, he'd lost, he'd failed. And so it comes again as a bit of a surprise, maybe a shock, when on that cross he said, what? It is finished. How did he complete God's good work? Well, as Jesus hung there, perhaps reflecting back on his life, he could see that he'd run the good race, to use a New Testament metaphor. He could see that he had done what the Lord had asked him to. Despite being tempted to sin, he had not given in. He was triumphant. He'd satisfied the just requirements of God's law. He'd lived for God rather than for himself. The Bible says the punishment of sin is death. And if Jesus hadn't sinned, he didn't need to die. There was no punishment for him. And so, of course, we believe that he died for us. He died in our place. The servant of the Lord finished, completed the work of the Lord. And as a result, like Nehemiah, he was therefore able to gather God's people, us, back to the Lord God Almighty. Praise be to God. Which brings us to ourselves. As God's people, we too might face obstacles each and every day in completing the Lord's work. But as we think about ourselves, we might wonder what exactly is the Lord's work that he would have us complete? I think we often ask that question for two reasons. The first one is because we often think specifically rather than generally. What would the Lord have me do in this specific situation? Should I accept this job? Should I move to this place? Should I send my kids to this school? Well, we want to know about God's will for us in specific ways. And in doing so, we can sometimes forget that God has made very clear to us his general will. What work will he have you complete? Well, like Jesus, to resist temptation. To live and worship him every day to say no to sin. That is the good work that God would have you complete. And by his help, we can do it. Did you keep your patience with one of your children this week? Praise be to God. Did you say no to a sin that you've struggled with before? Praise be to God. The other reason I think we often think about and struggle with the Lord's work for us is because we think in big terms rather than small. Did you think of someone before that inspires you as an example of godliness? Perhaps you think, well, who will I ever inspire? What grand work will I ever do for God? I've given examples of small everyday areas we can complete the Lord's work ourselves. And so as I look at the story of Nehemiah, 
I want to encourage you about how we too can overcome obstacles as we do this. The first one is the example of prayer. Nehemiah is a fascinating man of prayer. When we're introduced to him in chapter one, he's praying. He has a regular extended time with the Lord. If you want to complete the Lord's work, do you have that? In chapter two and chapter four, here in chapter five and six, he just keeps sending up these these quick prayers. Do you do that? (laughs) I'm pretty good at spending time with the Lord, praying regularly for an extended period. I'm pretty hopeless (laughs) at walking with the Lord and conversing with him every day. We need both to complete the work of the Lord. Bringing things to the Lord, but also in the moment going, God, help me. (laughs) We need to be people of prayer if we too are to be servants of the Lord who complete his good work. Secondly, we need to be people who partner with one another. I love that Nehemiah didn't get about this job by himself, but he shared the vision and people said we're in. When there were problems within God's people, he gathered God's people again and said, we need to fix this. Imagine if that was true for us as we faced obstacles together. Uh, Last week, I was attending a conference and there I was listening to a guy who was talking about some research he'd done at a particular church. A church that, unlike all the others in the community, had lots of young people. And he wanted to know the sort of secret here. (laughs) And his studies showed him that this church was different in sort of three ways with young people. Firstly, they named them. They greeted the young people at their church and took time to learn their names. And that helped the young people feel welcomed and included. Secondly, they noticed the young people. It's, it's not that far from saying, hey, how you doing, so-and-so, to saying, how's your week? And then they'd follow up on those comments, noticing the things that the young people were struggling with and actually talking about them. They named, they noticed, and then they nurtured. Again, it wasn't a big step to go from how you're doing to how you're doing with the Lord. <laughs> How are you going with this problem to can I pray for you or help you in that area? And as I listened to this research results, it struck me that it's actually not that special. (laughs) Imagine if we did that with one another. We named the things we're struggling with. How are you doing this week? Oh, fine. Well, actually, no. Let me tell you what I'm struggling with, an obstacle I'm facing. Imagine if we noticed one another. You're doing okay today, you look a bit down. How did you go with that problem you shared with me last week? Imagine if we were known for nurturing those around us. Again, godly examples of compassion and kindness discipling one another. Could it be possible that like the enemies of God's people, 
in our day and age, our world might look at us and say, actually, you inspire me. This can only be done with the help of the Lord. As we try and help one another live a life for the Lord, to serve him every day despite obstacles, will we be people of prayer? Will we be people who partner with one another, who walk beside and through these things one one another? If we do, then like Nehemiah, like our Lord Jesus, we too might see praise go to our Heavenly Father. We too might see more and more people gather with God's people and give thanks to Him, praise to His holy name, saying this could only be done or finished in His power. Let me pray that this might be who we are. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Nehemiah, a servant of yours who completed the good work that you'd put before him so that praise and glory went to your name. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who despite even greater obstacles could say it is finished. He completed the work for us. We pray therefore that with your help, in the power of your spirit, we too might serve you each and every day in the big and in the small, in the general and the specific areas that we face. Lord, we pray too that we might partner with one another to overcome obstacles together, that we might walk with you, that we might seek your help, but also walk with and seek the help of those around us. Lord, we pray this so that we too might be characterised as people who fear the Lord, so that more praise and glory might go to you. We ask this in the name of your Son. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.